Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another episode. Let's talk today about the emotional side of being scammed. I kind of went down a rabbit hole (laughs) with this in uh, doing some reading and and some research. And I actually want to build on the episode that we did on cognitive biases. And a lot of those I related to investing. But cognitive biases are something that can be applied to so many things. And so let's take a look at what's happening uh, emotionally for us in the light of being scammed or being frauded. Scams, like uh, perhaps the Bible refers to as the poor, are something that are ubiquitous, always with us, and ever-changing. It seems to be hardly a week goes by that we don't hear some story about the latest email scam or uh, some type of telephone fraud. The techniques involved in scamming remain the same. So the emotional levers that are being pushed don't change. But the creativity and the context of the scams are changing all the time. Um, For example, this year, crypto frauds seem to be in vogue. And according to some of the research I read, have more than doubled in the UK over the last year. Now, in the past, when I have read stories about scams, I've often wondered, how could people be so gullible? I assumed that the victims of fraud were like in a classification like the elderly or less educated. Maybe somebody who had uh, recently suffered a loss of a loved one. Or somebody who was really isolated, living under a rock socially. And while there's some data that suggests this can be true, I read one piece of research that said one in five people over the age of 65 have been targeted by email scammers. Being scammed can happen to anyone. And (laughs) I would be shocked if it was as low as one in five. I mean, for years, Almost, certainly not a week goes by, hardly a day goes by that I don't have some type of email scam in my inbox. So nobody is immune to fraud. I have fallen for phishing scams. Oh, I don't know. 
hand, let's just say a handful of times that just seemed so accurate. Uh, and then when I took a little harder look, I'm like, oh man, how could I have fallen for that? And sometimes people will fall for these scams due to psychological techniques or needs, emotional needs that we have. So falling for a scam is not about the money. So like I said, in the last couple of weeks, I've written and done podcasts on the 10 cognitive biases, which are what psychologist Albert Ellis liked to call stinking thinking. And this is a human tendency to persistently engage in thoughts that just don't serve us well. For example, assuming that fraud only happens to certain people, which was me, that, that they don't happen to me, highlights a cognitive bias called delusion. <laughs> Bad things only happen to other people, but not me. So what I thought might be interesting is just to look at a small sampling of the current scams and schemes, fraud that's out there, and to see how these cognitive biases, our emotions, play into them. The first category would be that of fees. These are loan fee scams where the victims are asked for an upfront fee when applying for a loan. Uh, they typically spike around Christmas or just after Christmas when people look to borrow money to deal with all the costs of giving and traveling, etc. So once you've paid the fee, and they, this can be on anything, once you've paid the fee up front, the criminals disappear or they can come back asking for more. So once you hand over the money, it's unlikely that you see them or the money ever again. So one cognitive rule is that if anybody asks for money up front, the answer is no. I, uh, I fell victim to this scheme when, and I don't even know that this was a scheme. We had a floor that needed to be refinished in a house and the contractor asks us for payment up front. And so we went ahead and paid him and then never saw him again. So what are the emotions involved in this? Well, the first one that comes to mind is what we talked about as narrow framing. Narrow framing is making a quick decision without gathering or being fully aware of all the facts and without considering the implications. So we weren't aware of this contractor's background or stability or credit rating. We didn't check to see if he had any type of bonding in place. We didn't consider the implication simply of what if he doesn't do the work or he does a really poor job and we have no leverage, right? Because we paid him. 
Another thing that can enter in something like this is something we call anchoring. And that's our relating to something familiar in the past, the past experience that we had that isn't necessarily true or applicable in the current situation. So in the past, we had dealt with contractors who were reputable. And I, I don't know that we necessarily had given money up front, but it's possibly it's possible that we could. It's not unusual for a contractor to ask for 50% up front so that they can use that to buy uh, their uh, materials. Although, if a contractor needs some money up front, it might be a sign that they're not um, fully funded, that they don't have enough money to do that themselves. I think a famous one where I anchored, well, famous, <laughs> famous to me, was I was looking at buying a property with a gentleman, a gentleman that I had known for ah, 30 years. And it looked like a good deal. In fact, it was um, at the bottom of the real estate market in Phoenix in like 2009-ish, sometime around there. But prices were really, really cheap. I thought this would be a good time. And he said, yeah, let's go in on it together. And I said, great. And he said uh, he needed $3,000 from me for a furnace money. I said, okay. And I wrote out the check and I gave it to him. Well, um, what's wrong with that? Well, it was, it was all a verbal agreement. I got nothing in writing. And you might say, Rick, duh, have you ever told your clients to make sure to get everything in writing? Yes, definitely. Why? What possessed you to give this guy $3,000 for earnest money? Well, first I knew him and I projected uh, trustworthiness onto him. And how was that happening? Well, one of my business partners is my brother. He and I have done, I don't know how many deals, multiple deals, where we haven't had any agreement in writing. Um, in fact, he just called me yesterday with a potential deal. And I was like, yeah, count me in. If you know, if it works out, count me in. I put my brother's face, this man. And I mean, a classic case of anchoring. Like, yeah, well, my past experiences are that I can do things on my word and it works out. And uh, when it was all over, I, I just, oh, the next day, he completely changed the deal, completely changed the terms of our agreement. I knew immediately I was in trouble. And in that moment, I decided to walk away and consider losing $3,000 was cheap. 20 or 30 years ago, I would have wa walked away so easily. I might have even engaged in suing him. But in this case, with a little maturity, I decided that this was a $3,000 tuition. And uh, so that would blow any idea 
that I'm not susceptible to a scam. And I, I don't know that that this person set out to purposely fraud me, but he I I just entered I entered into this with anchoring on the experience of dealing with my brother. And uh so that's <laughs> that's one example. Another uh scam that's popular right now are shipping problems. I've read that four out of five fraud cases that start with a text message involve fake texts from FedEx, UPS, and boy, have I gotten a bunch of these. And typically, it, just in one, there's many, many, many types. But in one, they'll say, you owe a small fee for a missed delivery. You need to pay the fee or risk getting the package returned. If you click the link in the text message, it sends you to a fake website that looks just like the delivery companies. And then uh, you'll be asked to fill out a form. Uh, the scammers will take that data. Then depending on what they collected from you, what you put in, they can take it a bit further and then call pretending to be from your bank, from your bank's fraud team, and say that uh, your account's been compromised, and then they'll tell you to potentially transfer your money into a new account that they've set up, which if you do, even more money is lost. So what's going on in this case? Well, action bias. And uh, that's one where feelings of anxiety are invoked. So you go into action and do something. And oftentimes doing something is not the best alternative to doing nothing. But we're sitting there with the, the anxiety. Anchoring is another one where, well, I've, I've seen this logo. I've dealt with them in the past. And I am positive that this is familiar to me. Loss aversion, where I'm placing more emphasis on loss than the potential of gain. And in this case, the loss would be, oh, if I don't act right away, I'm going to lose this particular delivery, but I don't even know what the delivery is. Uh, I've even gotten deliveries that might you know, like a delivery, they'll say it's a delivery from Amazon. Well, I get deliveries from Amazon all the time. It won't necessarily specifically say what it is. And in some cases, it does. Like, oh, hmm, did I, did I order this particular item online? Maybe I did. They might, you know, say it's something that is real familiar for people to order, or maybe it was like a cord, an apple, apple cord. You might think, oh, okay, maybe my partner ordered that. Another one is just overconfidence that could play a, uh, a role here. Just feeling that I've got all the information or I've done the research or I've checked it out enough. So let's take a look at taxes. Another great area for scamming. Scammers will again use emails, phone calls, text messages to try and convince you that they're from the IRS. 
They'll use the IRS symbol, really make this seem that it's from the government, and then they try to trick you into handing over money by pretending you owe this. Yeah, now typically this is not the way the IRS or any government agency operates. They don't call you, call you up and tell you to put money into an account. So if you don't have that knowledge, well, that's falling victim, victim to narrow framing, isn't it? That's making a quick decision without gathering or being aware of all of the facts. It also can be uh, action bias where you fear that you got to go into action immediately. And it also can hit on overconfidence where you think you've got all the information here. Another one is charities. And this is a big one that's been with us forever. And they try to pose as a legit, legitimate, well-known charity. Or maybe it's even a, a good-sounding fake charity that they've created. It can be an individual posing to have health problems. I get emails like that all the time. They've like popped up again of people who are sick, reaching out typically from other countries with very sad stories. You know, right now, uh, posing to be Ukrainian citizens. So they're, they're oftentimes targeting something that has some urgency to it. So, of course, there's a lot of red flags here. If you've never heard of the charity, maybe the website looks strange. You're put under pressure. Again, action bias. It can be anchoring involved because this you've given to charities before. Maybe you've had calls like this before and they've been legitimate. Narrow framing again, not gathering all of the data, overconfidence. So all of these can, can play on these emotions. And you might say there, and there, there's so many more. Holiday scams, hearing from your children around the holidays is typical. But uh, one is when you get a text. And, you, and it says, hey, mom, it's me. I got a new phone because you see the phone number is not in your, your uh, data bank. Uh, so they say, I got a new phone. Would you delete my old number and save this one? Or I've lost my phone and this is the new number. And then the parent falls for that. The scammer um, will often go on to ask for money and say they need money because the maybe the bank put a block on their account. Just a number of things can happen when you start uh, texting with somebody that you think is, is uh, related. And they can be pretty good. Uh, they try to hit broad areas that um, are real possible. You know, if you get something that says, hey, you know, I'm your... your uh, daughter and you don't have a daughter, that's obvious. But if they say it's me, right? So again, narrow framing, overconfidence, confirmation bias. There's uh, cyber scams are really new right now. Just uh, 
There was uh, recently a um, scam around uh, something called OneCoin, which is a, a million-person pyramid pyramid scheme. NTA or NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which are digital versions of video clips and artwork, are a great thing to scam right now. According to one expert, 80% of all NFTs are fakes. So again, anchoring, confirmation bias, narrow uh, focus, and fear of missing out are biases that pop up. One that I thought was interesting recently was on social media, and there's a lot of social media scams out there. Facebook is a great one. And I think the the one that I want to look at or go through is, was a, a celebrity in France that was paid to promote a get-rich-quick scheme. But she didn't mention that she was being paid to advertise this. And this particular woman, Nabila Betanada Bergiada. <laughs> I'm sure I murdered that name was fined $25,000 by French officials for recommending a site that was about Bitcoin trading and alleged to train people on how to trade Bitcoins. She put it on her uh, Snapchat account. site promised 80% returns, too good to be true. And this lady had 6.9 million Instagram followers and earned $225,000 a month from social media. So again, here's the fear of missing out, narrow framing involved in something like there's imposters, there's COVID, COVID schemes, robocalls, money transfer schemes. Another thing that um, is used is, is the uh, need for reciprocity. That's if somebody does something for us, we feel obligated to do something for them. So scammers use this feeling of indebtedness to elicit action, like um, offering you an exclusive opportunity to invest your money. I'm doing you a favor. Oh, well, uh, that you know, I need to return that favor. My heavens, this person is, you know, I'm special in this case, and I need to reciprocate. FOMO could be a part of this. But just a fear of making someone upset, fear of rejection could play into this. Another one is using trustworthiness because people like to think of themselves as being consistent and committed individuals. And if we say we're going to do something, we generally will. So they take advantage of this by getting us to commit to little steps and escalate. For example, they can get you to answer some trivial questions and you agree to. And then they step that up to less trivial questions. But you've agreed to. Would you answer some questions for me? Yes. So a little and they build and build and build. Uh, it would be inconsistent not to answer the next one. And sometimes by the time we kind of figure out we're giving away too much, it can be too late. Another one is just the need to be seen. 
This suggests that we like people who see us, who are the same as us. And then because we're, we're feeling seen and we have this connection, when um, they make a, a request of us, um, we tend to more be open to it because they're like us. They've seen us. We, 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 we feel that uh, commonality. Um, so they could ask our date of birth, and maybe that's uh, their date of birth, or all sorts of things can happen. Or they tell you, yeah, I was born, so I said, when, were, when were you born? Oh, what day? Oh, great. So uh, it goes on. So underneath all of these cognitive biases, of course, we have our vulnerabilities. We have our unfinished business. We have our fears, um, our hopes, our needs that oftentimes um, may not be um, taken care of or exposed in these times. So uh, doing emotional work pays off. It pays off not only emotionally, it pays off financially, right? what this uh, podcast is all about. Okay, thanks for joining me, and uh, I will look forward to talking with you again next week. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.